You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Amen. You guys can uh, have a seat. Welcome. Uh, like Nick said, my name's Stan. Going to be on staff, one of the pastors here. And so, um, if you have your Bible, you can open up to Ephesians six. And as you turn there, I just want to say, man, it's been fun. We're a semester into this thing. What is that? Three, four months, and uh, to see all that God is kind of doing. Um, so. For example, in July, Anthem Church didn't exist, but here we are in kind of mid-December, and to see us go from zero people to roughly 120 here on a Sunday, and the, the fun thing is is about 100 people are in our weekly connection groups. Again, we're going to measure success, not by who just comes on a Sunday, but are people getting connected? We believe that's where lives are going to get changed, and and you see that. We, we had uh, five college students get baptized. I think we've got three or four community people people that are set to kind of get baptized this month. And so uh, it's just fun to see what God is doing. And you've heard it said, and again, the prayer cards, but we're sending 10 people from this church to spend Christmas in Vietnam. And so just so excited. All that is taking place. And I just want to be very clear. There's someone that's really upset by that. Like there's someone that's, that's genuinely angry. And, and I'm referring to Satan. Satan, I believe, just hates what God is doing here. And he would want nothing more than to attack it and to destroy it. And I think this is an especially relevant text for the college students that are going home over break where you've had such a great community. In fact, many of you guys would, would say, this semester, God's really done a great work. And now you're going to leave community and be at home. And I don't know what kind of context you're going to. But I'm saying there is, there is someone that scripture refers to as like a lion prowling that hates what God is doing and would, not, would want nothing more than to see this kind of movement just shut down. So we're diving in. That's where our text goes. You're like, that's an interesting topic. If you're a guest, we don't just pick fun stuff like that. We teach books of the Bible. And so we started in Ephesians chapter one, and here we are in Ephesians chapter six. And I, I enjoy doing that. I feel freedom because you don't get to just skip over hard things. You have to teach what, what the Bible says. And so that's where we're going today. So it, kind of the outline of today's message, we're going to talk about who it is that we're doing battle against. What are the schemes that Satan is going to use? And then how can we stand victorious? Okay? So who are we doing battle against? What are his schemes? And how can we stand victorious? And so Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, he says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're going to stop there. So we're, we're nearing the end of this book, right? Next week is our last kind of sermon from the book of Ephesians. And so recently we've really gotten like a lot of challenges to, to be unified, to um, husbands love your wives, wives submit to your husbands, children obey, work relationships, this is how it should look like, be unified in the body. And so there's all these challenges and if that's not enough, he's like, oh, it might be hard to do that. It's even made even harder by that there's someone who's against you in that process. 
right? You're like, how do I apply these last few messages? It's all the harder knowing that, that Satan is against us. And so that's who he's talking about here, the, the spiritual powers, the darkness. And so Satan, that very name means adversary, one who opposes and specifically opposes God. He has other titles. The, the devil is one of those. That name literally just translates to slanderer. And so Lucifer, prince of darkness, liar, there's a lot of things he's gonna be called, but all kind of pointed the same thing, that this is Satan who is against God. And so how did he come about? Just a little bit of context. Ezekiel 28 talks about how Satan was an angel, and how he opposed God and decided that he wanted to sit on the throne above God. Isaiah 14 talks about this. And so Satan's pride led to him falling, to being cast out of the presence of God. And so Satan is a fallen angel, and Satan has become the ruler of the world and prince of power of the air. John talks about that. He's an accuser, Revelation would say. And he's been given charge over spiritual forces. Let's say it like this, he seeks hell both a living hell and an eternal hell for all of mankind. That's what Satan would want, is to separate us from God. If he can do that temporary here on earth and create a living hell, or if he can do that eternally, that's his mission. That's what he would want. And so he says, we're at war against this darkness. And as a prince of darkness, Satan's going to do everything to oppose God. And so you've got to understand, he can't defeat God. But if he can get God's children, men and women that are created in the image of God, right? if he can get them, that's in some way a small victory, I believe, for Satan if he can come at the children of God. And so that's what he's doing. And so we're at war against him, the prince of darkness, that's what he's saying. It's not against flesh and blood. And so here's the, the reality is we need to know our opponent. You can't be ignorant. And there's this tension that I felt like in prepping for this message where it's like, you need to talk about Satan, but you certainly don't want to glorify him or make him out to be more than what he really is. But you do have to talk about him. And so Satan and his demons, just to be clear, are no way equal to God. Unlike God, they are created beings with finite limits. They're not all present. They're not all knowing. They're not all powerful like God. In fact, in uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.8, he talks about how, uh, sorry, we don't have this slide for the screen, but in 2 Thessalonians 2.8, talks about how Jesus is going to come back one day. Here's how limited in power. It says, um, and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth, uh, bre sorry, breath of his mouth, and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Okay, uh, since I misread that, let me tell you what's happening here, okay? What it's saying is, is in this final days, there's gonna be all this turmoil. Satan's at the head of it. He's gonna appear, and here comes Jesus, and it says, with his breath, with his coming of his presence, he will bring to nothing Satan. You get this like battle lines are drawn, all this, and then Jesus like appears and so Satan's just like gone. That's the war, right? No competition for God whatsoever. No competition. And he's just gonna be absolutely destroyed. But, but that's in the future. Right now, there is still a war taking place. And so we have to know our opponent. And failure to know your opponent, to recognize that, can lead to bad things. A little illustration. 
guys, for some reason, I don't know what it is, like to grapple, wrestle a little bit. Have you ever seen guys just break out into like wrestling in random places? Maybe it's just this guy. <laughs> like, but there's something like, I want to test my strength against that guy. Boom. And he like, go, well, I, as a college student, uh, there was one of the staff guys and he's like the, he's a little bit shorter, but kind of a bulky guy. And I'm like, so I, I was in my kitchen and, uh, and he turned his back to me. And so I just jumped on him and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take him down. He turned around, like he got out and it was like, you jumped on a rock and hugged it. Like what was going on under his shirt? I was not aware of because he, <laughs> he turned around and I about this size, I probably had close to a hundred pounds on this man, and he threw me around like a small child. <laughs> I have never felt so small, like in the presence of another person. And what would happen, like he would throw me, pin me, and this guy's name is Mike. We just called him Mo, right? If you if you're that strong, so so Mo, he would pin me on the ground, and I'd like get up, and then I'd just come at him again, and he would throw me down again. He's like, "Have you not learned your lesson?" You know, and, and like I did it until I could not do anything else. I was just beat and done, surrendered. Here's why you should know your opponent. Had I done my research. I would have known that Mo was quite an athlete from a family of athletes. In fact, his dad, like they have this fitness stuff. His dad was like Mr. Iowa in terms of fitness. Mo, like his father, a very fit man, uh, had scholarships to either do wrestling in college, that would have been helpful to know that, or baseball. Mo would go on to do this thing, CrossFit, you familiar with that? He moved to Asia to be a missionary, at which point he won all of Asia in CrossFit. Do you know how big Asia is? <laughs> Mike Mart is the strongest man in all of Asia, and I tried to wrestle him in my kitchen. You have to know your opponent, or you might end up humiliated, and so who are we against? We have to know that we are, we're battling against Satan. First Peter 5.8, if you're taking notes, this would be a good one to look up later. First Peter would say this about him. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That's who we're against. They liken Satan to like a roaring lion who, if you ever watched a lion hunt stuff, Man, I love Planet Earth. That series just worshipful. But those big old cats like creeping through the grass to just pounce on something. He's like, that's what Satan's like. We have to be aware of that, right? We have to be aware of that. And so that's who we're up against. Now, what kind of schemes is he going to employ? What's, what's he going to do? See, I think one of the things where he, right away he tells us your battle's against Satan, not against flesh and blood, because I think one of the tactics is like, well, you're, you know who's your enemy is your, your spouse, your kids, that's who you're really against, or your boss, your coworkers, your business associates. What this text is saying is flesh and blood, that's not the enemy. Satan is, and Satan is going to bust up those relationships through speaking lies, whatever it is, and that's where the friction's gonna be, and he's gonna want you to think it's with that other person and not ultimately coming from him as a source. 
Now, just to be clear, some of you are like, I knew my spouse had a demon. Is that what you just said? Like, I'm not saying that, that, that possessed in that way. Let me be clear, that, that if you have God living within you, you've invited the Holy Spirit to live within you, there's not room enough for Satan to also live in there. Right? So Satan can't coexist with God. And so if you're a believer, if that means if you've invited Jesus into your life, Satan can't possess you in some weird sort of like you need an exorcist kind of way. But he can still influence you in terms of lies and speaking to you. Do you understand that? That, that Adam and Eve were perfect, but yet Satan was able to influence them to take the fruit that they weren't to eat. He didn't come in and possess them and like some zombie sort of thing, but through the lies caused them to question, is God really good? And so therefore Satan is that deceitful influencer. And so to be aware of that, and I'd say this, that since the garden for the past several thousands of years, these demonic forces have continually been perfecting their tactics to bring mankind into darkness. Does that make sense? They are continually learning and perfecting this tactic ever since the Garden of Eden. So that's who we're up against. And so what are these tactics and schemes that, that, that Satan is going to use? We don't have time to get into every little one, so I'm going to paint some broad strokes. I'd say this. If you're taking notes in terms of schemes, I'd say in general, I think Satan has really learned the art of being subtle. Being subtle. Why um, Satan rarely if ever, manifest himself in such a blatant way. Because I believe if, if Satan appeared in that way, like people would run and flee. If you went and, and your boss like was a really deep red color and had horns, you'd be like, I'm gonna run towards God. Like you would like, you would see that. And so I believe Satan has learned the art of being subtle. These subtle shifts in order to separate us from the Lord. Does that make sense? That, that it's not going to be all at once, but it's going to be subtle. And, and C.S. Lewis, if you're looking for kind of an insight on this, C.S. Lewis wrote a fictional book called Screwtape Letters. And it's a dialogue between an older, more mature demon and a younger demon. And so this older demon is, in, is telling this younger demon how he can best kind of influence and separate this young believer from the Lord. And so in chapter 13, this older demon is really advising him to take him slow, to get him distracted with little things. And in the context that C.S. Lewis was writing this, he's like, get him to look more at the newspaper than he would at his Bible. Keep him in worthless conversations or relationships that aren't edifying. Try and keep him away from sleep. Get him being content, being a busybody. And then he goes on to say this. He says to the young demon, you'll say that these are very small sins and doubtless like all young tempters, sorry, doubtless like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, and by that he means God. What matters is how you, sep uh, the extent which you separate the man from the enemy. It doesn't matter how small the sins are, provided the cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards will do the trick. Indeed, this, here's the line that you need to hear. He tells him, 
Indeed, the safest road to hell is a gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. The, the safest road, the safest way for Satan to separate us from God is ever so gradually. The little things, right? It's, it's that one decision that leads to the next, leads to the next. Think of somebody that's, that's living a life of drunkenness. It, it probably started out somewhere, right? Like it's just these little steps. And so Satan has learned this art of being subtle, and so what are those tactics? What are those little things? I think for me, like one of the things right now that I'm, I'm kind of realizing that has been used is just the art of like being distracted through when I'm on the internet. I, as I'm writing this sermon, right, I've got the Bible gateway, you know, tab pulled up. I've got this other tab pulled up. And then here, not helpful whatsoever. It's just like this, tab of, of listings of things for sale. I think it was like land. It's like, I don't know, I'm interested in farms. And then you find like this time where you're like thinking and you're like, I'm just going to click over there and see if somebody listed a new farm for sale in the last five minutes. And so I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's a social media tab or, or whatever it is, but it's this thing that just kind of ever so slightly di distracting you, pulling you away. What are those things that, that if you add up the minutes that turn into hours, Take more time and more affection of yours than perhaps even seeking God in prayer through Bible reading. Like, what are those things that, that draw you away? <laughs> For me, as a, as a young married guy, it was a different thing. It was a, it was a, a phone app, Angry Birds Rio. <laughs> okay, this, this is more shameful than anything. At one point... There's 7 million users, and I'd cracked the top 50 in terms of score. That's bad. Like, that's not like a, an achievement. What that tells you is there were hours spent flicking a bird at blocks, watching like imaginary pigs like explode for points. Like, what did I get in return? Like from all that time, all that investment, all that energy, a name on a digital leaderboard somewhere out there, like with the, the, the Chinese symbol name before, like above me and like this name, like that's it. Like my name is, is somewhere out there in the digital world on that. That's what I got in return. Do you understand the exchange that was made? That I, I believe if Satan can't, can't totally derail us, he can't possess us, he can't drive us away, the least he can do is sedate godly men and women, heirs to the throne that have the Holy Spirit in them, we'll just sedate them. We'll just keep them doing this on their phone rather than engaging the person as they wait outside their class. Rather than engaging the person, we'll just keep them scrolling. I'm saying that is a scheme, that is a tactic of the devil. And as I'm preparing this message, okay, exchange, I deleted that out. And now, just replace it with another one. And I'm telling you, in light of studying today, there's an app on my phone that is gonna be deleted because I realize, parents, have you not had this? As I'm looking at this app, and here I am, seeing other people's lives, 
on the social media. And meanwhile, my daughters are saying, Daddy, Daddy. And even this week, my wife's saying, do you hear your daughter? I didn't. Because all I was, it just sucked up in the phone. Do you understand that that is from hell itself, that that is a scheme of Satan? It is so subtle, it is so little, and I believe it is so pervasive. And the effects are so damaging. I'm saying as a result of studying this, being aware, I'm thankful that God let me teach this text. I'm saying before I take communion, that's something that's got to go. Subtlety. What is that 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 Satan is subtly redirecting you? I'd say this. The next thing in general, how these schemes work, is he's going to use good things offered for sinful uses. It's like how... Uh, a, a child molester, this pedophile, will use the allure of candy to bring kids in to do evil things. It's this allure of something that is good, but the person that is giving it is absolutely evil. That's what Satan does. And what he does is he said, well, look at the gift. Isn't it beautiful? This is candy, is it not? This is a good thing, is it not? And he began to examine the gift. I'm saying that's all part of his strategy to use good things to draw you in, but they're really for evil purposes. I would say money, for example, it's not a bad thing, but greed is. And so Satan has learned that if if he's going to get us with that, if he's going to hook us with it, he's got to make it more desirable. And so he's going to give us things like sex, money, power, pleasure, fame, fortune, relationships. But he's going to cover these things up and he's, he's going to put some stuff around them like a good fisherman. If you've ever gone carp fishing, the bait you use is like dough ball oftentimes. You take a hook and you pack this stuff around it and so it just looks like a ball of bread that you just dip out there. And they think they're eating one thing and then you set the hook and get another. And so Satan, for example, would set the hook. He said, greed. Well, nobody wants greed in the side effects of greed. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set the hook of greed, but I'm going to say, hey, wouldn't you like to have more money to, to give more to the church? Provide for your family? Maybe take a nice vacation? Those aren't evil things, are they? And so he sets that hook. And then, oh, what's it take? To get that more money? Oh, you just have to cash in on every family relationship, personal relationship you have to peddle them a product that they don't want or need. And in in subtlety, you exchange the love of people for the love of money. Sets the hook. It's this allure of something good, noble purposes, but the intention that Satan intends it for is bad. And so those are two kind of in general subtle ways that I think Satan is going to get us. He's going to take good things and get us looking at them. Same thing in the garden. I mean, this is clear back to when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. Well, look at the fruit. Doesn't it look good? Pleasing to the eye, right? It's not about the fruit, but it's about God's command. Does that make sense? And so don't get caught up looking at Oh, is is sex outside of marriage? Is this really a bad thing? What does God command? If you can sift through that and see that for what it is, you're going to be able to identify the hook of Satan 
You might not fully understand it, but Lord willing, you'll stay away. And so understand the subtlety is a tactic and using good things with bad intentions. There's other things, guys. He's going to try and get people alone. He's going to use false prophets, false teachers, lies, lies, more lies. I mean, he's a deceiver. And so there's tactics he's going to use, but in general, they're going to kind of come back to those things. And again, Satan is not likely going to manifest himself in your life like you would see in some horror movie. It's not that he could not or has not. It's just typically not effective. It's counterproductive. Context. Go Acts 19. When they were taking the gospel in Ephesus, I believe Satan really overplayed his hand and messed up big. And so I'm just going to kind of read the story of, of how the church in Ephesus, who this letter is written to, how did it really get started? In Acts 19, it says that there's these brothers, the seven sons of Sceva, they tried to mimic what they saw Paul doing, healing and casting out demons. And so they went to this demonic person. They said, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. It says in, in Acts 19, verse 15, but one time they tried it and the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? And the man with the evil spirit leapt on them, overpowered them, attacked them with such violence that they fled from the scene, from the house, naked and battered. <laughs> Not subtle at all, right? What was the response? Right away, verse 17. The story of what happened spread, spread quickly all through Ephesus to the Jews and Greeks alike and solemn fear descended on the city and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of who had been practiced sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them in a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars Verse 20, so the message about the Lord spread quickly, uh, spread widely, and had powerful effects. How did it spread? Satan overplayed his hand, wasn't subtle in any way, and put himself out there, and people were like, whew, we need to turn from this. And I'm just saying, church, I don't perceive he's going to keep making that same mistake. And so it's going to be subtle. It's going to be subtle, and it's going to be neatly packaged. That's the schemes. That's who we're up against and what he's going to do. And so the question is, then, then how are we going to stand again that says, there's an old preacher, before we transition to that, an old preacher said, if you never encounter Satan on the road to life, perhaps it's because you're heading the same direction. If you never encounter, if you never pass, if you never come in contact with Satan on the road of life, perhaps it's because you're heading the same direction. We will face opposition. If we're doing things right, we will face opposition. This church is going to face opposition. And it's a sign that we are being attacked because we're doing something right. It should be there. So how are we going to defeat them? Is this a hopeless endeavor? What makes us think that we're going to do better than the seven sons of Sceva or Adam and Eve? Did I die? Okay. Here's the reality. <laughs> you against the devil, you lose. Like if it's just you in and of yourself against the devil, you're going to lose. But you with Jesus, you're going to win. There's going to be victory. And so, again, he sets this up. The only way 
to defeat Satan is to be strong in the Lord. You see that there in those verses. And the strength of his might. Jesus withstood the temptation of Satan in the desert. He didn't fall after 40 days of fasting, being hungry and thirsty. He didn't give in. He succeeded where Adam failed. He survived the attack in the garden. He, being nailed on the cross, didn't give in. He, he submitted to God through that whole process. Said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Again, what Satan, even that scene of uh, the cross, what Satan intended for harm, like the seven sons of Sceva, like nailing Jesus to the cross, God used for so much good. And so Jesus has prevailed. And again, that, that 2 Thessalonians 2.8, with the word of his just mouth, his presence, will ultimately defeat him forever. So for those that are in Christ, those that, are, that have invited him in, we can stand and stand firm because of what Jesus has done. And I have to, you have to understand this because we're going to go into this whole thing about the armor of God. And I think the men are like, yeah, let's, let's do this. Jesus is not making you into a Navy SEAL so that you can go fight Satan. The whole point, the whole context is that, that he is the one who will defeat Satan. And so it's through him, in him. And all these armor pieces aren't for you to just kind of put on and like go attack Satan. It's, it's to anchor you in him. That's kind of, in general, what they are saying. And so with that, let's move into this. Next thing he says in verse 13, in light of who we're doing a battle against, the schemes he's going to employ, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all to, uh, having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes uh, for your feet, having put on the readiness uh, given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, um, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making a supplication for all the saints. He's saying, this is this armor of God. And why is he using this? Context, he's likely in prison, quite possibly could be chained to a Roman guard. He's like, I need to help them understand how to stand firm. I believe he could have like looked over and was like, is that a belt? Okay, belt of truth. Like, and just... Looks, they would have been very familiar with what a Roman centurion a, a soldier would have looked like. Okay, we've got a picture. Like this is just like a drawn-up one. There you go. Man, all right. So you see, kind of all the the the, the things. These guys were world power at this point. When he's writing this letter. There are 41 modern countries that are under Roman rule. 21% of the, the world's population is under Roman rule. Two million square miles. And these are the soldiers. And now the next scene kind of gets you, how did these guys fight? And maybe you've seen some of these movies, right? I'm not going to reference them all, like some better than others. But they would fight as a unit. That was how their whole armor was, uh, was laid out so that they would fight as a union. And so their, their shields would actually even interlock. And so the first row would be like that. Their shields would be for, uh, facing forward. They'd be like four foot long shields. And so they'd lock them together. 
And then the guys in back could put their shields over top and they just put those babies down and they just kind of move forward like this and just push the enemy lines back. And then they have this sword, actually, this is gonna be really fun. It's my favorite part of today's sermon. Uh, Matthew Robinson just has one of these. I'm not sure as to why you need one of these. It actually has an edge. He, he said it was a gift, but I would give this gift to myself too. Um, and so, <laughs> if you want a picture of what you learned in church, this would be a good one, right? Okay. So they're there with their, their things, and what would happen is they'd push, and the enemy would be pushing against, and they just and next, whoop, and like step over them. And like, that was how they fought. It wasn't like this, oh, right? None of that. It's good form, but not how they fought. It was so, it was so like defensive. This was their best offense was this defense. That's how they fought. Was it effective? Highly effective for a long time, and so that is how they fought. And so even as he describes this, he's saying you need to stand, stand firm. He's describing the, the most superior military force arguably that has ever existed that was primarily defensive in posture. And so that's, you have to lure like, wait, I'm gonna put all this sweet armor on, and I'm just gonna go to, well, you're worried that I'm swinging the sword around, I'll set it down. <laughs> Uh, no, so what's he kind of saying? And guys, we're not going to have the time to break all this armor down, but you get the general idea. The belt of truth. Satan is the father of lies, so he's saying, put on truth. Truth that comes from God and his word. This breastplate of righteousness. Not our righteousness, not our own, but the righteousness that comes from Jesus. Feet with the readiness of the gospel. Even like their shoes, you talk about defense, they had basically metal spikes, cleats, that they were able to, to dig in. He's saying, you want to anchor? You want to dig in? Let it be the good news of the gospel that you did nothing to earn your salvation. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works so that no man can boast. Ephesians 2, 8, right? That you want to anchor in something? Anchor in the good news that Jesus redeemed you. Even while you were a sinner, he just redeemed you and brought you back. So he's saying, be anchored in the gospel. He goes on, have the, the shield of faith, trusting God's promises, trusting that God is good. And those shields can put out all these, these arrows that Satan is gonna kind of shoot out at you. And you can trust that, no, God is good. I can trust him. And so with this level of faith, helmet of your salvation, again, remember what Jesus has done. The sword of the spirit, God's word. And so as you stand and you anchor and you know all of who God is and, and the relationship you have with him, when Satan has these lies, just like Jesus did when he was out you know, in the wilderness and Satan is tempting him, he's like, boom, God's word. And he's able to just call those lies. And so he's saying, that armor, that's what that looks like to put that on. That it's an anchorness, it's a, it's a defensive kind of posture. Again, we have a God that his very presence is gonna make Satan just combust and disappear and die forever. And so we don't have to think that we're gonna go out. And that's the thing about this armor. A, a Roman soldier like that, out on his own, He's not going to stand. 
I mean, that's assumed through this text that, that a Roman soldier going out on his own, he can't prevail. Those arrows are going to come from all sides. But it's in that community as they stand together. I think it's just implied through that that you would have a community and you would be able to link up together and stand. And that way, even if somebody might be getting pressed back in, neighbor guy's just like, done. Guys, I would just encourage you that, that if you're not in community, I don't know how. I think that's one of the implied things that, that God has given us to really stand firm against the lies of Satan. Does that make sense? That, that it's through this community that we can come and be with other people and they can help us stand firm and keep pushing us to the Lord. I think succinctly put, how do you stand firm in the whole armor of God? James 4, 7 says it like this. James 4, 7, for those taking notes, he says, submit yourselves then to God. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. A submission, a connectedness, an abiding in who God is and what he's done is how you will flee and resist the devil. That means if you are following God, and you are close to him, you're not going to be walking the path of Satan. You're not going to be doing his things. You're not going to be believing his, his schemes. And so the best way to defeat Satan is to just be anchored in the Lord. And so we're going to be rooted in the Lord. We need to be rooted in prayer, which is why he says the next part. Verse 18, praying at all times with all prayer and supplication. That's just a, a communication, a talking to the Lord. It means if you're going out about your day, he's saying you need to be praying at all times. It keeps you connected with the Lord. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. It means not only praying for you, but praying for other believers, other Christians, that they would stand firm. And he goes on to say, and also, verse 19, pray for me that the words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We'll kind of close out. I'm going to invite the band up, but who we're in battle against is Satan. And he is crafty. And he's going to employ all sorts of different schemes. How we're going to defeat him it's through being anchored in the Lord. And we do communion a lot. I get that. But it seems, again, like a perfect practical application to say, Jesus, your body broken, your blood shed. That's how I can have any hope. You shouldn't be compelled to leave this, this message and be like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go fight. Be anchored in the Lord. Be, be caught up with him. And that's how we're going to be able to stand. And so here's what I think this practically looks like today for communion. Is that if there are things right now, even on your person, that have been a distraction and taking you away from the Lord, I would say, before you take communion, delete that app. Get rid of that number. If it's somebody, whatever it is, Hebrews 12, 1, I think, talks about it. It says, let us throw off everything, every sin that so easily entangles us. And I'd say, cut that if you're able to before you even go take communion today. If it's things that you need to discuss with your spouse, discuss that with your spouse and say, hey, I think we need to find a new TV show. <laughs> that one's not helpful. Hey, I think we need to do this. Have that conversation 
lay that down before you go and take communion. And when you're ready, what you're saying by taking communion is you're gonna break a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. And what you're acknowledging in that moment is, Lord, I trust you. Jesus, you, your body was broken. Your blood was shed so that we can have freedom. And Christian, I look for, forward to the day when Jesus comes back in his very presence, casts Satan away forever, and we can spend eternity in heaven where there's no weeping, no hurt, no pain, no lies, and we are with God. Until then, fight. Stand firm. That's the command given to us. And he wouldn't give it if there wasn't a way, and that way is through Jesus. And so invite the band to play, and I'm gonna pray for us and give you an opportunity to respond. So God, thank you for this text. Lord, would you anchor me in you? Would you anchor us in you that we wouldn't, that even now, Lord, I just pray that you would reveal the schemes of the evil one, things that are not of you and from you, things that don't help us better love you and love others, things that would distract us from loving you and loving others, things that would take us away, those subtle things. Lord, would you help us identify even now before we take communion what those are? Lord, I personally acknowledge before you just my sin. I'm not loving my daughters well by being distracted by an app. Lord, would you please forgive me? Lord, that is wrong. Please forgive me. I just thank you, Jesus, that your body and blood was broken for that so that I could be forgiven and set free. So Lord, I just want to put that aside personally and thank you for the forgiveness that is, that is ours in Jesus. And so, Lord, would you please reveal those things now, help people repent, and invite you in and, and take communion together. And so again, when you're ready, as the band sings and responds, I invite you in your leisure to kind of go to the communion table and we'll take communion as a church together.